0: All right, so you might think time is short, but I'm committed to have a shorter sermon. And ha ha, he he, I'll, I'll laugh for you. Yeah, I said it. Shorter sermon. I'm recognizing there's a fine line between a long sermon and a hostage situation. So the reason there's gonna be a shorter go at it is because at the end, I wanna p- create space for you to plug in and find out more about the serving initiatives, the serving opportunities. The team is waiting for you in the foyer to at least stop by and find out how you can use your gift here at Landmark Church. So where are we at this morning? We're taking a brief break this week and next week from verse by verse in First Timothy, and we're gonna do a mini series entitled Service Over Status. I, I, feel like my, I feel like my body has been going for the past several weeks. From December 24th, Christmas Eve services, immediately after that service, Drove to North Carolina, spent time with my in-laws and Christmas, got home, went right to South Africa. That was an exhausting trip, including the travel. As Soon as I got home, I was in the pulpit last Sunday, if you recall, right after service, was on my way to Illinois. So I'll take a moment to say, if you're watching from Illinois, and I know two of you are, Tatiana and Jim, thank you for your hospitality. Where was I? I was in Peoria, Yep, I have no idea either. And I was speaking at a deer feed. Yep, I had no idea either. It was a group of no less than 500 hunters. Men like Fred Banner, George Turner, Bill Winkle, Tom McNulty, 500 of y'all. And I was like, all right, I'm out of my comfort zone here. And if this happened in New Jersey, 500 plus hunters, all 2A advocates gathered together to eat deer the state police would be bursting down the doors to shut it down in a second. So I had the honor of sharing my story there. Got back on Tuesday night, late. We had the state of the church on Wednesday and I just felt like I got hit by a truck, right? It just felt like my body finally just shut down. Can't really escape this cough. So during this short sermon, we're not gonna have a coffee break. We might have a cough break. And my assistant in the front row here, Kelly, is gonna throw me some water, which you can do right now, (laughs) Just to clear my throat, and we're going to get after it. We're going to look at Romans chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, turn there now, Romans chapter 12. We're looking at the first five verses in that chapter, and we're going to pick up where we leave off this week, next week. Let me say that the church, generally speaking, can often be conducted like a sporting event where it's easy to allow those on the field to do all the work. And a lot of the times, those on the field need a rest, and those in the stands need to get to work. It also is true that if the team on the field does not meet the fans' expectations, how easily the fans turn on the team. How critical we can be when our team does not play, up to our expectations. And I think the church, generally speaking, has been governed that way, where usually the staff or those on the platform are carrying forth all the work, and a lot of the times people will come in and just sit in the stands. But I know one thing about the Word of God and what he says of the Christian, and it's that every Christian is called to the front lines and get off the sidelines. Every Christian is called to be loyal to the body and, of course, loyal to the cause of Christ. In life, when somebody is only there for the good times, but they, of course, are nowhere to be found in the bad times, they're called fair-weather friends. You may have some of those. There's also fair-weather fans when it comes to sports, and sadly, there's also fair-weather followers of Christ only to be seen when times are good at the church. But the moment we enter a season of trouble or challenge, fair weather followers are nowhere to be found. And I believe at times God often allows things to occur in the body to purge and refine and define. And what we're after, at least in this series, is for each of us to have an appetite of service. As we made our way through chapter two in First Timothy, we came across a landmine which dealt with male authority in the church. And if you remember what I said, that anyone that seeks position or authority in the church should do so based on service, not status. And the way of the world often seeks status for what it brings them. And yet Jesus taught, flipping the way of the world on its head, and saying, if you wanna be great in my kingdom, then you are the servant of all. And the Gentile world lords their authority over their subjects or followers. And Jesus said, it's not so amongst you. And he laid before us as the chief example, Jesus, the son of God, God in flesh, as the chief example of one who came, ready? Not to be served. He came to serve and to lay down his life as a ransom. So here's the first point. If we, plural, if we do not serve God where we are right now, we will not serve him where we're going. A lot of people are waiting to get involved, waiting to use their gift for God's glory, waiting to be spent for the things of eternity. And if you're waiting, you're never gonna get around to it. If you're not serving him right now where you are, don't fool yourself, you will not serve him where you're going. See, the Lord tells us in Luke 16, 10, he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. I love that because serving the Lord in the here and now, whether in small things or large things, is the prerequisite to serving the Lord in the next thing. Did you get that? How you're serving now will determine how you serve him in the next season. And I'll even say faithfulness in little things is a great thing. Note that faithful in the little is a great thing. So we begin in the Fort Knox of Bible doctrine, the book of Romans, Romans 12. Please know the 11 chapters that precede chapter 12 are chock full of doctrine. We don't have enough time to get into the doctrines that Paul lays out for the church from Romans chapter one, the condition of man, all the way to Romans chapter 11 what God's plan would be for Israel, it all rolls over, you ready? All that doctrine, it rolls over to duty. In light of what you know, what are you gonna do about it? Romans 12:1. I beseech you, therefore, I implore you, by the mercies of God, underline that, the mercies of God are chapters one to 11, based on what God has done for you, based on salvation, sanctification, justification, based on your eternal destination, based on being adopted as a child of God into the family of God, based on him paying your sin debt in full, based on you not being able to reach the glorious standard of God, you've fallen short, based on Christ coming down from heaven and exchanging your wretchedness for his righteousness, I beseech you therefore, brethren, I beg you, I implore you, by the mercies of God, ready? Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Did you get that? Why should I present my body a living sacrifice based on what Christ has already done? Here's your duty. First Corinthians chapter six says, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. If your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit lives inside of each of us. It then says in verse 20 of chapter six, you were bought at a price. And if Christ bought you, then is it not his prerogative how he spends you, how he uses you? See, it says, you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and spirit, which are God's. That's what it says. Your body and your spirit, presenting them on the altar as living sacrifices. Note this, mark this, write this down. You can become a living sacrifice because Christ became a dying sacrifice. Now, the challenge of maintaining and sustaining a lifestyle of obedience as a living sacrifice, when you place yourself or surrender or submit on the altar, it's, it's still alive. And because it's still alive, you, based on your will, can choose to leave the posture of submission. What? Yeah. We come to Christ, we give him our life, and maybe for a season we're on fire, we're serving him, and then that light goes dim or goes out and we take ourselves off of the altar of submission and we begin to live for self. How many of us would be willing to admit, I'm not exactly where I should be? Yeah, me too. See, only as a living sacrifice can you be what he wants you to be. Only as a living sacrifice can you do what he wants you to do. Now, watch this. This is what you become, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Translation, this is your logical service. This is reasonable. This is, is not asking too much of you to give your life to Christ who died to give you his life. This is a reasonable ask. Logical is the actual Greek word. Some translations say this is your spiritual service. That's, that's applicable. Some say this is your worship. I like that one. Let me say... If service is not worship, I'm a living sacrifice, and I'm doing so serving the body from a posture of worship. If service is not worship, then service will become worthless. How many people do you know, and maybe it's you, we get a serving and we get burnt out. We're not a living sacrifice, we're a burnt sacrifice. It's because we're not worshiping while we're serving. And serving can become exhausting. I can tell you the truth, people are exhausting. Unless it's done unto the glory of God from a posture of worship, I've seen people come in on fire, and they begin serving, they begin cleaning the church, they begin serving in the children's ministry, and and over time, they turn up missing. And you go, what happened? Oh, oh, they're burnout. out. Do you see what happened there? So we're not asking anyone to just serve. I'm asking you to worship, because here's the next thing I want you to know. Worship will keep you serving. And sadly, serving without worship will keep you from worship. Serving can keep you from worship. Worship will keep you serving, absolutely. And sometimes serving can keep you from worship. We have to find the proper balance. When we place our life, our bodies, it says, every member of our being, eyes, ears, mouth, mind, heart, feet, hands, on the altar, as living sacrifices, when you give your life into God's hands, you become a wonderful servant. Would you agree? Now, conversely, when you take life back into your own hands, if you're being honest, you know you become a terrible master. I mean, that's just the battle between flesh and spirit. What happens when you place your body on the altar as a living sacrifice. You're ultimately asking for the Holy Spirit to occupy your temple. And the Spirit of God within you determines, dictates your emotional man or woman. That's your soul. And a lot of the times, your soul controls your body. In that order, spirit, soul, body on the altar. Use me, Lord. And you become a wonderful servant in the hands of God. However, when you mix that up and you lead with your body, your fleshly man or woman, that affects your soul, your emotional, mental man or woman. And of course, that's what causes us to quench the spirit. And if you're being honest, when you took your life back into your own hands, your flesh was a terrible master. My whole testimony is built upon that entire quote. When I finally gave my life to the Lord, becoming a wonderful servant, asking him to use me. My entire past was built upon the premise taking life into my own hands, and it became a terrible master. Oh, it's possible to be a slave to your flesh and yet come in on a Sunday morning and put a smile on your face as if everything is in its rightful place. And the Lord is not asking us to put makeup on our messes. He's asking us to come in broken and transparent and open so that as a body we can come together and with harmony and unity and diversity and interdependency move and live and have our being as one body and one spirit and one faith and one baptism and one Lord and his name's Jesus. See, verse one rolls over to verse two. These are the two verses that we probably all know by memory. And do not be conformed to this world. How do you stay on the altar as a living sacrifice? Don't conform to the world. Don't let the world fit you into its mold. Don't let let the pressures of the world squeeze you into its way. So how do I keep from being conformed to the world? Be transformed, metamorpho. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word is renovation or repair of the mind. The only way to stay on that altar, the only way to stay worshipful in service and humility is to spend time in the word of God and renew my mind, which is broken and can only be fixed by the word. And when I renew my mind, I maintain this posture of service and watch what happens. Your life begins to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What does this boil down to for all of us? We are either living sacrifices unto the Lord or we are sacrificing our lives unto the world. And only you can answer where you're at. Time to sacrificing your life unto the world, yet living for the way of the world sacrificing perhaps to get ahead at your family's expense, sacrificing and living for the way of the world so as to reap status. Now, some of these things that we present, they're not bad, they're amoral. It's how we use them that makes them bad or evil. Even good things in life that come at the expense of the great thing of life, your faith. That good thing becomes a terrible thing, a terrible master. Let me define living sacrifice for you. It's humble service to the cause of Christ. What does that look like? Humble service to the cause of Christ. Let me define for you sacrificing our lives unto the world. Haughty status that thinks more of self. Humble service, haughty status. Which one? How many would admit, and I will go first? First. I've always known Romans chapter 12, verse one and two, by memory. I can rattle it off since I was in grade school. But if you were to ask me, hey, what's verse three? I wouldn't be able to tell you. And what I've learned is verse one and verse two are necessary foundations to verses three and on. And the reason there's a transition from living sacrifices, your body, stay on that altar, renew your mind, your life is actually proving that God's will is good, acceptable, and perfect. And oh yeah, by the way, verse three, for I say, through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith, not disconnected from the previous two verses. A lot of the times we can be in our rightful biblical place, right? We're at peace serving the Lord, using our gift. And the caution is, hey, don't think too highly about yourself. Don't think more about yourself than you ought. But to think, ready, soberly. To think highly, The word is to think above. It's actually to think about. So there's two ways this goes. You can think more highly about yourself, and that's what we would call self-inflation. I'm so important around here. The church can't function without me, right? When I come through these doors, people better greet me. There's this self-inflation about who we think we are. You know what I'm talking about? But there's also, on the opposite end of the spectrum, and people wouldn't categorize this in thinking about oneself, but it's true. You're either self-inflating or you're self-deprecating. Did you know that even the woe is me attitude and mentality, woe is me, things never go my way, why am I always getting overlooked? That is still a mind that is thinking of self. You wanna know how Joseph was successful in prison? He didn't think about himself at all. In fact, we know that because when he walked into one of the quarters, he noticed two inmates who were thinking about themselves. And Joseph was able to read their countenance and say, why are you guys so sad? And I've said to you before, the quickest way to diminish your own sorrows is to begin serving others. The quickest way to diminish your own sorrows is to begin focusing on and serving others. The command is, by the grace of God, do not think more highly of yourself than you ought. Think soberly, which is the opposite. And according to, let's see, as God has dealt each one a measure of faith. All right, this is not saving faith. This is serving faith. God has given us saving faith. That's Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine. For by grace, you've been saved through faith, comma, and that, not of yourself. God has even given you the ability to have saving faith. But this is serving faith. God has given you a measure of faith to serve. So after we have a proper estimation of self in light of God's grace, this doesn't mean you don't think of self in a biblical way, right? Psalm 139 is you thinking of self in a biblical way. you know Psalm 139? I'm a marvelous work of God. But I know in and of myself, I have nothing good. But I'm putting God's magnificence in alignment with my insignificance. And there's this confidence that comes, right? When I know who I am in Christ, that's thinking soberly of oneself. Understanding that God has dealt each of us a measure of faith and has given each of us at least one spiritual gift. Now let me put them side by side so you get what I'm putting down. To think highly, here's the question that is often asked. How are you serving me? You can know you're thinking highly if this question indirectly is how you live. How are you serving me? Conversely, to think lowly, here's the question. How may I serve you? Do you know a lot of people leave churches because the church didn't serve them? Meanwhile, the Bible, the biblical model is you should have served the church (laughs) and people that are looking for a church to serve them will always find themselves in the seat short term because something's gonna happen in that next body that's not gonna meet their expectations because it's about them. It's about what has the church done for me lately as opposed to what have I done for the church lately? See, to think rightly about ourselves is to be able to think rightly about others. That's why verse four and five are connected to verse three, which is connected to verse two, which is connected to verse one. Verse four and five, for as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one body, of one another, excuse me. This is what I want you to see, okay. This is kinda how I write my notes. For we have many members in one body. So I write the word unity, one body, unity. The next verse then tells me, but all the members do not have the same function. And I realize, okay, unity in one body, different members, diversity, different members with different functions, okay, diversity. So we being many are one body in Christ, ready? And individually, members of one another. That's interdependency. Each member is dependent upon The next, how many of us can relate to either the check engine light coming on, right? Pulling over, the car suddenly stopping, and you open the hood, right? That's the first go-to, you open the hood, and everything looks, everything looks good. It's exactly as, what do you know? But that's the point. Sometimes it requires somebody that comes and goes, with a working knowledge, they look and they go, oh wait, there's a lid that's loose. There's a wire that is out of place. And they simply put it back and the engine functions. Now, who would have thought that just as the little bitty parts of an engine are vital to keep the whole vehicle running, likewise, every member of the body of Christ is crucial, critical, and important. Failure to do the part that God has employed you to do will hinder the whole body's functioning. Did you get that? We're gonna look at in greater detail 1 Corinthians 12 next Sunday. You can read in advance. That entire chapter deals with diversities of gifts, one spirit. Differences of ministries, one Lord. Diversities of activities in the body, and yet the same God works all in all. And the different gifts that are given and a very similar reiteration of here, what we read in Romans 12, many members, one body. Now, many members make up one body. If you're part of the body, every member will contribute a specific function. And not only contribute a specific function, even one member in the body can affect everybody in the body. Did you get that? One member in the body can actually affect everybody, In the body, it was not uncommon for me as a former pro soccer player to have my toes stomped on intentionally by other players on the field. Did you know that? It's one of the tactics to get you out of the game. If the ref wasn't looking, a guy would literally come up next to you and with the bottom of his cleat, literally stomp on your foot, boom. And you'd be out. And a few of those times, my toes would swell up and blood would fill underneath the nail. I know, very graphic. Did you know they actually have a tool called a nail drill? And it's exactly what it sounds like. And they would literally put this little piece on your nail and they would just drill. And it would go through your nail And like a volcano erupting, I know, I know, it's delicious. (laughs) All that pressure would be released. And I've, I've mentioned this before, if it wasn't released, that little member of the body at night would be throbbing in such a way that the entire body, every member of the body was staying awake because of the pain that existed in that little toe. And sometimes God... He doesn't remove the toe. Sometimes he allows the drill to release the pressure that was causing the pain and the suffering in that one part of the body so that the entire body can benefit from the healing. So no doubt, whether we're doing good or doing bad, every member of the body is impacted by the next. Sometimes what is in the body needs to be kicked out because it was never part of the body. When something enters your system that is not part of the body, it's not of the body, your body, your immune system begins to work over time. I'm trying to help you understand how the spirit of God works in his body. And there are things that happen in the body that are not of the body, and the whole body works together to kick it out. And, and, And if you're causing an irritation to the body, I hate to break it to you, and I love you enough to tell you, you're not the kidney, you're probably a kidney stone. And I'm not gonna describe how kidney stones are passed. You're welcome. See, verses four and five show us that there's unity, diversity, and interdependency. And all of them are necessary. Here's your equation. Unity without diversity is uniformity. Imagine if we're all walking around as the same individuals, same functions but the body is beautiful because it's diverse. So we need unity, but we also need diversity because diversity without unity is anarchy, right? Everybody doing their own thing in various ways, various giftings, and yet no order. The body needs both unity around what? The gospel, unity around truth, unity around the full counsel of God's word unity around Genesis to Revelation, unity around what God says, not what man says, unity around the scriptures and not the culture, unity around the word of God and not the way of the world, unity around essentials, unity around what is foundational, unity in the gospel, diversity in our giftings, diversity in our giftings. Each of us have been granted a gift Jesus tells parables about what we do with our talents, what we do with our gifts. Are we multiplying them? Are we using them unto the glory of the master? Or are we storing them up, burying them in the yard, and of course, when he comes back, we'll give him his interest, and he's not pleased. There is a difference between well done, good and faithful servant, to what have you done, you wicked and slothful servant? Words Jesus, not mine. Listen, you may be in some form or fashion a business owner and you have a knack for organization and administration. The last thing we want to do is give you a list of needs at the body, in the body, that your gifting doesn't meet. That's how you burn out, serving in an area that your gifting does not dictate. So I'm not going to say, hey, you have a gift of organization. We're going to put you with the little kids. Just put you in the nursery. No, some of you enjoy that. Some have gifts to teach. You're able to put on a presentation at work. No nerves. You get up there with the PowerPoint and you're, you're racking through the slides. And I'm saying, you can, you can do that here. Getting in front of a classroom, starting a Bible study. Some of you are in law enforcement. First responders, and you're going, I don't know how to use that gift. I'm going, there's so many ways to use the the things you're already doing in life. Your natural gifts make way for your spiritual gift. Do Do you understand what I'm saying? Every one of us, there is no excuse, not one, for us not to get involved with the diversity of gifts that God has given to us. Then there's interdependency and growth. This is what we need, each member needing the next. In Colossians chapter two, there's a warning about misjudging. And Paul would write those that are misjudging based on, again, I'm I'm taking this verse out of context, even though it's true by itself. There are those who are with a puffed up fleshly mind, ready, verse 19, not holding fast to the head. This is what I liked. Not holding fast to the head from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments grows with the increase that is from God. And I love that part. I'm like, that's true. If we hold fast to the head, which is Christ, from him through the body, all are nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments and there's growth. It says there's growth and increase that can only come from God interdependency in our growth. Each of us needing each other and our gifts. Or we become like the two guys riding the tandem bike up the mountain, pedaling hard, finally making their way to the very pinnacle Of the mountain and the man on the front said man that was hard my legs were burning the entire time with every pedal it felt like we were going to roll backwards to which the guy in the second seat said I know that's why I kept the brakes on the entire time And the reality is some of us are pedaling, some of us are holding the brakes. Some of us are pedaling, and some of us need to take a break. Some of us are taking a break, and some of us need to be pedaling. If we get all on the same page with that analogy, if we're all pedaling when we're supposed to be pedaling, if we're all braking when we're supposed to be braking, if we're all taking our rest, and breaking when we're supposed to be taking our rest? Are you understanding the harmony and the health of the body? See, after World War II, a group of German students set out to help rebuild some of the destruction from the German bombs. They worked on an English cathedral, which was pronounced by a large statue of Jesus. There was an inscription underneath this statue that said, come unto me. As they worked with the statue, trying to put it back, they had difficulty restoring the hands, which were completely broken off and missing. Over time, they realized they were not going to be able to bring it back to its original state. So instead of fixing the hands, they decided to change the inscription to this, Christ has no hands but ours. And I love that, because it's biblical. To put it all together, Christ has no body but ours. That's why he uses the analogy that he's the head. And I know where the head is today. Sits at the right hand of the Father. And he left his body here on earth, made up of many members. And the work that he does on earth is through us. So I'm asking, as one of the leaders whose desire is to serve you week after week with my gift, is that you would prayerfully consider the gift God gave you and how you're using it in the body. Sometimes serving is scary. Committing long-term, I don't know if I have the time. I guarantee you, the team that you trust that works day by day in the ministry will find a way to put you on a rhythm of serving that's not going to burn you out or tax the priority of your family. You could serve once a month. And if we all made that commitment, once every few months, if each of the ministries had a long list and the groups were being led by those that have the gifting to do so and our outside opportunities and events, people are chomping at the bit to get involved. I'm telling you, I'm telling you what I could see the Lord doing in this ministry. Almost prophetically, I could see it. Now the challenge has been presented to each of us. So I think I stayed true to my original intention with a shorter sermon. Thanks to the flexibility of our worship team allowing me to cut off the final song. Because I think we can worship our way out of here by either singing, right? Or we can worship our way out of here by finding out how I can use my gift. If you don't know your, your gift, we have ways of helping you discover your spiritual gift in the ministry. We also understand there are people in here, you're at different seasons, right? Young families with newborns and, and young kids, please understand, we're not asking you to neglect what's before you to serve the church. That would be irresponsible on our part. But I guarantee there are plenty of us who can fill the void while you're, taking your break. And when the time comes, a new family's going to come along and they're going to take your place and you're going to take that other family's place. Is that making sense? So let me pray our way out of here. Remember, worship will keep you serving. Worshiping God will keep you serving. Serving without worship will burn you out. God gave you a gift. He wants you to use it for his glory. That's the harmony of the body. As we close out with prayer, people are going that way to stop at the table. Some of you need to come this way and meet our prayer ministers. They're waiting for you to pray. That's also part of worship, amen? Amen. Father, thank you for speaking this morning. Thank you for using us, though we deserve it not. Thank you for your grace abounding. Now inspire us, Holy Spirit, to search our hearts, and to use our gift for your glory. Would we not be temporal-minded people, but eternal-minded people? Thank you for blessing this body. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen. You are dismissed. Thank you very much.